Today, as Pastor Cindy said earlier, is the final message in our series, Hope is Here. Um, two weeks ago, we talked about hope for the weary, and that uh, while life can really drag us down, uh, a lot of tough things, uh, we don't have to carry our burdens all on our own. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, last week, uh, we confirmed that there's hope for the broken uh, because of God's forgiveness, and it's offered to everybody uh, that, uh, that, you know, we can experience hope, okay, when, when we know God's forgiveness. But today, uh, we're going to address one of the hardest circumstances, I think, uh, that a lot of people face. Uh, and we're going to be looking at God's word about, is there hope for the doubter? For people who doubt. Um, okay, so I got a question for you. Have you ever heard someone share a piece of information uh, that when they shared it, you just had trouble believing it was true? You know, uh, maybe it was just so out there, you know, somehow, or uh, that it kind of made you doubt, or, you know, it's one of those, it just sounds too good to be true kind of things. Okay, uh, and so at least those times it either makes you doubt or at the very least kind of feel skeptical. About, about what's being said, okay? So just to kind of set the stage for this, okay, let's just for a moment, uh, I wanna, I'm gonna pose about three questions to you, okay? And I want you to decide with each question if you trust it or you doubt it, okay? So now here's the deal. If you trust it, I want you to raise your hand. And if you doubt it, just keep your hand down, okay? So here's quite first question for you, okay? Did you know that every day, on average, 11 banks in the United States are robbed. If you trust it, raise your hand. If you doubt it, keep it down. Yeah, okay, well, that's true, okay? That's true, all right? I mean, you can go Google it. I, I you know, okay. Uh, did, okay, here's the next question. Did you know that you are more likely to be stung by a bee during windy weather? If you believe that, if you trust that, raise your hand. If you don't, keep your hand down. Okay, well, good job, folks. That's false. Okay, um, that almost sounded too good to be true. You know, that, that was, made me skeptical. Okay, last question. Did you know that they have square watermelons in Japan because they stack better? If you believe that, raise your hand. If you don't, keep your hand down. Oh, you people, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, you can go, you can go home today. Don't do it right now because I don't want to see you looking at your phones. Okay, but but you can Google square watermelons and it'll pop them all up, and you can see a bunch of square watermelons in Japan. Okay, yeah. Well, here's the thing though: doubt has become a common occurrence for a lot of us. Okay, within our culture today, there are people that we know well. First of all, that who failed us. Okay, and that can cause us to doubt. We'll also all agree there's a lot of false information out there on the internet and a lot of places uh, that get shared on social media, and that can cause us to, if we're not careful, we become where we doubt everything. Okay? Um, seeing a world that's full of hurt and pain can also make us doubt whether God is really good. I would, um, so, I mean, I guess the thing I want us to get at is people doubt for all kinds of reasons. A lot of sources for doubt. However, I want to submit that the real problem is not the doubt itself, but it's rather how we handle it. It's what we do with it. We'll talk about that, okay? So before we go any further, let's just really make sure we all kind of are on the same page about what doubt really is, okay? 
Okay, so just a question. We talk here, right? Okay, so how would you describe doubt? Are there any words you would use that, you know, you would say this is kind of what doubt is? Okay, unbelief. All right, any other word or thought? Well, that's a good one. Okay, well, many Christians think that doubt is the opposite of faith. Okay, but that's actually not right. Okay, the opposite of, of faith is unbelief. It's not doubt. Okay, it's, in fact, that's very different from doubt. Doubt comes from a word meaning to. Okay, the kind of the root, the entomology of the word doubt means to. Okay, now you think about this. When you believe something, to believe is to be of one mind. You're in, you're in one mind on it, okay? Because you're in one mind about accepting something as true. Okay, when you disbelieve, when you disbelieve is also to be in one mind about rejecting it. All right? But... Doubt means to waver between the two, all right? So to believe and to disbelieve at once is to be in two minds, all right? So there's an interesting, there was a book written by a guy named Oz Guinness called In Two Minds, all right? And he states in this book, he says that in the Bible, unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe, or a deliberate decision to disobey God. It's a willful choice to disbelieve. Doubt is very different. Doubt, okay, if you think about it, when we doubt, we're being indecisive. We're being ambivalent about an issue. Uh, we haven't come down squarely on one side or the other of belief or disbelief. Uh, we're simply if you really think about it, it, it kind of means we're stuck over some questions or concerns about the thing that keep us from settling in one side or the other. By the way, I mean, can we all, would we all be willing to admit that at some point in our lives we've had some doubt? Yeah. I mean, that, okay, so, you know, we're not, there's nobody here that's alone, okay? I, I want to comfort us by thinking this way. Uh, we're not alone. Uh, when we struggle with doubt. In fact, we're actually in some pretty good company uh, when we doubt. Remember, right after Jesus' crucifixion, uh, all of his friends, his disciples, their hearts were broken uh, because their hopes and dreams of a better world had just, it would appear to have just ended. Things were not looking good. In spite of all the things Jesus had told them, he had told them all beforehand what was going to happen to him, but they didn't know how to process that. And so, now, they, every, all their dreams are, are blown up, their plans are gone, and, you know, um, they started being filled with doubt. In fact, they had enough doubt that some of them started to go back to their old jobs of being fishermen. Right? Okay, so it wasn't until Jesus showed up among them in his resurrected body that the word started to spread among his disciples that he was, in fact, alive. But even when that happened, there was one disciple whose doubts kept him from believing, caused him to not believe. So let's read that about that today, and then we'll talk some more about it. That's found in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. And so we're going to read that out of the NIV. 
the verses will be up there if you would like to follow along there or in your Bibles, please open to that. John 20, verses 19 through 29, and it says, On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when the Lord, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Okay, Thomas, if you've been around church most of your life, is it fair to say Thomas gets a pretty bad rap? I mean, you know, an, an awful lot of uh, Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders and for a lot of messages, right? You know, what do we call him? He's Doubting Thomas, right? I mean, that's a pretty, you know, okay, that's a pretty bad name to be known by. He's Doubting Thomas for thousands, of, you know, all this time. So let me approach the, this from just a little different angle when you really think about it. Shouldn't the church be a safe place for people who have doubts? Shouldn't this be the one place that's safe to actually say, I've got some doubts? And to actually be able to share them and express them and say that? Look, let's, let's be realistic here for a second before we kind of throw Thomas out into the doubting pile, you know, okay? Tom, I mean, think about the life he had just experienced. Thomas had just seen his mentor from the past three years brutally killed on a cross. The thought of getting his hopes up about a resurrection, which by logical thinking would certainly defy all logic. Okay, I mean, in a human frame of mind, saying that someone's going to come back from, you know, that's going to be hard to believe that that can happen. Okay. It was probably just too much for him to kind of wrap his head around and imagine that it could be true. Thomas didn't want to believe that Jesus was alive because he didn't want to get let down again. He didn't want another disappointment like this. Like Thomas, we often don't want to believe or hope 
about something that's difficult in our lives because I think if we're really honest, what we're really afraid of is that at some critical moment that God won't come through. That, that, that we'll be left. Like Thomas, I think sometimes we use doubt as a way to protect ourselves from some future potential disappointment out there. Think about it. I mean, and, and this is kind of gets into our everyday language, okay? Um, okay, here's a test. You can, guys can answer if you think about it. Okay. When you hear some really unbelievably good news about yourself or about someone else, what do you often, what's the first thing a lot of people say? You hear something, just some great news, and what's the first thing people say? Well, okay, yeah, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> Praise God. That's what we ought to say all the time. Some people will say, good for you. Is that really true? I've, I've heard, or I've been around a lot. Maybe I'm around a more of a skeptical crew. <laughs> but I hear things like people say some, I mean, this, it's true and it's great news, right? I mean, and it's actually true. And I, I, I guess the two I thought it was people say, no way. No way. Or they say, you got to be kidding. Okay. It's, I mean, I think we respond that way because we want to protect ourselves, because we're afraid if we said, awesome, the next thing you say is, I'm just kidding. That didn't really happen. You know what I mean? We, we don't want to get set up, okay? And so I think, I think even in our normal way of life, we have this bit of skepticism and doubt about wanting to kind of be safe, okay? We respond that way because we want to protect ourselves, because the truth of it is, occasionally it takes a little time for hope to rise up. Okay, for it to rise up. And we want it when it happens that way. So as we read a few minutes ago, you know, a week after Thomas tells the others that he refuses, you know, to accept their reports, right, about Jesus, you know, there he is, right? He and the other disciples are meeting together in the locked room when Jesus shows up, standing among them. And I'm sure it startled them because that's why it says twice in that passage, first thing Jesus said is, Peace be with you. When Jesus says, peace be with you, it's probably because you need some peace to be with you because, I mean, you're, it's a locked room, right? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been to too many places where we've been in a locked room and somebody just shows, just shows up, you know, okay? So, I mean, I might need to be told, peace be with you because I might be, you know, kind of melting right then, okay? So, but he says, peace be with you because he wanted them to know they didn't need to be afraid. But the thing that most interests me about this at all is right after he tells them, so peace be with you, kind of like, okay, you guys can calm down, right? You know, the first thing he does is he turns to Thomas. And remember, Jesus wasn't in the room the last time when Thomas said all those things, but Jesus answered every one of the things he had said. Okay, he just turns to him, and, and, he, you know, and he says, look, you know, you're not the doubter. You're... The, the, he speaks to him, and he actually lets Thomas touch him. He lets Thomas have answers for all of his doubts, right? He, every doubt Thomas raised, Jesus allowed for them to be resolved. Thomas had been of two minds. He knew what he had been taught and told. He knew what the disciples had said, but he had these feelings that made it difficult for him to accept it. And Jesus then says in verse 27, it says, put your finger here. I mean, think of just for a second. Let's think about it from our perspective, okay? Jesus didn't go, 
man, Thomas, I'm really disappointed in you. For three years, I told you how it was all going to be. I've, I've been prepping you for this. And at the big moment, at the big test, you failed. No, Jesus doesn't do that to us, does he? He doesn't treat us that way either. What, what he turned and he just, he just said, Thomas, I know I, you've got questions. You've got doubts, which are questions that aren't resolved. Okay, And so the first thing he does is he says, let's answer your questions. You said you need to touch and feel. Touch and feel. It said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. And then stop doubting and believe. Stop being of two minds and come to be one mind. I love it. Jesus doesn't reprimand him for his doubt. He doesn't belittle him for his skepticism. And he doesn't ridicule him for needing proof. Jesus simply invites Thomas to see for himself. Just to see for himself. Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubts. And here's the really good news. He's not afraid of your doubts either. He's not afraid of your doubts or my doubts either. So, if you have some doubts about faith or other things in your life, it's okay. Here's the thing. Having doubts is not a sinful offense. And God doesn't get mad at us when we ask him questions. Especially when they're questions that could help clear up our doubts. Okay? Don't you think that God would rather have you be honest with him about your doubts and then have you walk away with no opportunity for a conversation? God, God wants to have an authentic relationship with us. I mean, like a real, you know, a real relationship. Okay? And that means it's one where you and I can tell him the truth about how we feel. I believe Jesus would welcome your questions and he would welcome the conversation. Because I think the Lord knows that people who have honest doubts will search for honest answers. And that's where the church can come in as well. Look, if we have someone in, here in our fellowship that's struggling with some form of doubt, your role, my role, all of us, right, should be to start by listening. Just start by listening. What are they saying? Listen to what they're saying. Listen to where does their doubt come from? Uh, where does the hurt come from? Where does the pain come from? What, what, what is the struggle? And one of the things we got to remember is we don't want to be tempted to paint over whatever they're telling us with some kind of churchy, you know, quotations or talk. Because that won't do them any good. What they really want is someone to listen and to be able to just have a true dialogue that can help them. Any congregation that has people who are actually willing to listen and empathize is likely to be a church where you can find hope for the hopeless and answers for the doubter. I believe South Oaks is that kind of place. We certainly pray that it is. Jesus is not afraid of people's doubts. We shouldn't be either. By the way, 
not all of their doubts may have to do with spiritual beliefs. People can have all kinds of doubts that impair their lives. They can have doubts about their health. They can have doubts about finances, marriages, relationships, careers. A lot of people have doubts about their future, what it may hold. Even when people continue to doubt, and there's no direct answer, that's not the end of it either, is it? Because you can pray for them. You can pray that God would give them wisdom for their eyes to be opened. You can pray that God would grant them discernment between truth and lie, between good and evil. We can pray that the love of God will enter their hearts. We should never forget that our life, just living our life authentically and real before them, a life of faith, is eventually contagious. And it will, and it will affect them. So then finally... When Thomas touched Jesus, that moment, right, in verse 28, immediately, where a week earlier, right, he said, I'm not going to believe. There's too many doubts here, too much craziness. He says, my Lord, my God. He didn't have to say, well, you know, there are sometimes you talk to people and they got an objection about something and you answer that and they say, well, actually, I got another one. Now, you know what I mean? And, and what you start to realize sometimes is some people don't want to be satisfied. Because no matter what you say, you know, it's like a little kid, you know, you want them to eat their vegetables and the minute you sort out the vegetables, then it's the bread or then it's the, you know, it's, it's like one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, okay? But the minute that Thomas touched Jesus, all doubt was removed. Because when you're in the presence, when you're in the presence of the authentic, the real, the truth, there's no more, there's no room for questions because the Spirit of God fills you with that peace. Fills you with that peace. It's that, it's that you know it in your knower that what you're being told is the truth. And then all of a sudden, you don't need to, the, the, the self-protection of doubt melts away. And the minute Thomas touched him, he said, my Lord, my God. Thomas had firsthand evidence directly from the source this called all his, caused all his doubts to melt away. And the same can be true for us too. Because we too, we get to go directly to Jesus. We get to go talk to him directly. And we get to discover in our own lives that he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Scriptures are full of firsthand accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Throughout history, the church has seen Jesus' power meet needs in miraculous ways in difficult times, in times that, lo- that would defy logic, in ways that would defy logic. People have gone to Jesus with their toughest questions and have found him trustworthy. Look, good news is, Jesus, when he is the source of our hope, we don't have to be crippled by doubt. We don't have to be, in the middle of life's storms, knowing Jesus helps us to hang on and be able to press in. Great, great story. There was an author, Robert Louis Stevenson. Okay, if you know the name, he's one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century. Okay, and he wrote about one of his excursions to the South Sea Islands years and years ago. Okay, and while he was on this voyage, the ship encountered a terrible storm. 
And him and all the passengers are down in the belly of the ship and they're frightened because the ship is rocking and rolling and tossing. And they're frightened and they're worried that the ship is going to be lost. They were, they were filled with doubts about their own safety. One of the men down in the belly of the ship with them uh, finally said, I got to know more. I got to know how this is, you know, more about how this is going to play out. And so this man ventured out in through the wind and the rain and the rocking ship and he headed to the upper deck because he wanted to find the captain and see what was going on with the voyage. When the man got to the upper deck, he saw the captain quietly, calmly pacing the bridge and with a tranquil, undisturbed face, he looked out across the sea and the waves and the storm and he simply gave orders to his crew for the handling of the ship. At one point, the captain even turned to the man and smiled. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote that at that moment, the man made his way back to the cabin down in the belly of the ship where the others were all huddled together hoping that they weren't going to die. And in response to their questions about what he had seen, the captain comforted them by saying, I have seen the captain's face. All is well. All is well. When you and I recognize that Jesus is here with us in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our doubts, in the middle of the storms of life that we do go through, we do go through, we can discover that hope is here. All we need to do is look into the face of Jesus. And then we see that all is well. Look, as we prepare to close today, let's take just a couple of minutes and just practically think about there are some practical things, though, that we can do that can help us to deal with doubt when it tries to creep into our lives. So I'll give you a couple ideas, okay? The first one is when doubt tries to get into your life, you pray. Number one is pray, okay? We ask God for help. Ask God for help. Look, be specific about what your doubt is. Remember, we talked about God wants to actually, he's not afraid of your doubts, and he's not afraid of having a real conversation. In fact, you can ask him tough questions. He won't get mad. Because honest doubt will create a search for honest answers. Remember, there was a passage in Mark 9, verses 22 to 24. I'm going to read from the message, okay? Because uh, I like the way it's told this account. There's, it says Jesus, it's about a, a, a father brings his son to Jesus. Okay, Jesus asked the father's boy, how long has this been going on, his, his seizures and things? And it says, ever since he was a little boy, many times it pitches him into a fire or the river to do away with him. If you can do anything, do it. Have a heart and help us. Jesus said, if, there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, then I believe. Just help me with my doubts. Okay, and Jesus did. And Jesus did. And then Philippians 4, 6, and 7 out of the message reminds us and encourages us, it reminds us, don't fret or worry. Don't have doubts, okay? It says, instead of worrying, pray. 
Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Worry and doubt go together, don't they? So when doubt creeps into your life, first thing we can do is pray. Second thing is, this sounds pretty simple, but it's hard to do. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. Fill your thoughts with God's Word. we got to remember, in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, verses 4 and 5, reminds us of this, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Change your thinking. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Look, the problem is most of our doubting is based on how we feel. It's how we feel rather than what we know. Our faith should never be based on feelings. Man, I don't know. I mean, anybody want to be honest? If my base faith was based on feelings, I might not be here today. No, you know what I mean? Right? I mean, I mean, I, might, I, mean, I don't just mean today. I might not have ever been here. You know? There, there are a lot of days. Let's, let's not even talk about faith for a minute. Let's just talk about life. How many days would you stay home and be in bed if you only got up when you felt good? I mean, so, you know, so, some of us don't feel as good every day as we used to. Okay? So, <laughs> you know, I mean, we can understand that if you based your whole life on how you felt, you wouldn't get much done. Well, spiritually, if you base your spiritual life on how you feel on a given day, you won't get much done. Okay, so we want to base it on rather on what we know. So sometimes we just need to change our thinking. Okay? Our faith should never be based on feelings because when we live, this is really the dangerous part, when we live by our feelings, we become gullible because now we're looking for reasons to support our feelings to justify it, and we can be very easily misled by the enemy. Okay? John 17, 17 says, Your word is truth. That's what we want to change our thinking and fill our thoughts with God's word, because it is true. It will not mislead us. Okay? It will lead us. It will not mislead us. It will lead us towards him. And it will bring us to one mind, and we'll get over the doubt. And finally, this one I love. Test God's promises. When you're in doubt, it's a time to, to what are some promises? Because remember, Thomas needed proof to believe. Okay? And if you ever find yourself needing proof to believe, then go to God's Word, look where there are promises from God, and then say, God, I need to test these out. You think God's going to mind? When it's an honest doubt and you're looking for an honest answer, let's look at three places where God has said we can test him, okay? Or he's made promises that he says have, have consequences, okay? First one, uh, and I'm using the Amplified here, um, because here's the thing, Paul, do, uh, excuse me, Paul, God doesn't expect us to just accept the things in the Bible. Like, turn off your thinking. He wants us to think, Okay? Think about this, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but test all things carefully. 
so that you can recognize what is good. Okay, so then here's some things the Bible says we can check out for ourselves. Okay, Acts 17, 11. Paul speaks about the people in Berea. And he says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Godly leaders and teachers encourage questions and allow people to work their way through doubts. I mean, here, what we just read, is the Bible actually praises people who check stuff out for themselves. In a way, that's what Thomas did. Thomas just said, I need to check this out for myself. So, here's some things you can try for yourself. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. It says, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, uh, which is the first commandment, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life. I mean, for people, some of us, we don't have our moms and dads anymore, but, you, but we have grandchildren and who ha- have parents, okay? There's a promise that can be tested. If you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you. Okay? Here's another one. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Do not be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. This is the promise of sowing and reaping. Okay? It's the principle of sowing and reaping. It's a promise you can try out in your own life. If you sow joy, you will receive joy. If you sow anger and bitterness, you will reap anger and bitterness. If you sow friendship, you will reap friendship. If you sow, do you see where this is going? If, and so, I mean, you can use this in your life and you can see that the promises of God, that sowing and reaping will work. And there's a very clear example of that in Malachi 3.10. That's the third and final one where he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. How much clearer can it be? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You can test God. That's one that's actually very easy to test because if you're afraid for your money and you're not tithing, you can solve it very quickly. It's, I've never seen God fail anyone on this. I've never known anybody that did not tithe, that started to tithe, that later on said, boy, do I regret starting to tithe. I do not know one person. I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, I don't know why I missed this so long. My life could have been so much better. That's not about giving money to the church. It's about tithing. This is about obeying God's principle of tithing. Anytime doubt starts creeping into your life, then you want to pray, change your thinking, and know full well that you can trust God's word because he's invited you to test his promises. I think that's great because because honest doubts will search for honest answers. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? So, maybe you find yourself struggling with 
some kind of doubt. Okay? First of all, I want to encourage you. Don't be ashamed. Just remember how to deal with it. Admit you have the doubts. Remember that your faith is not based on how you feel, but on what you know. And then fill your heart and your thoughts with God's Word by reading the Bible and testing His promises. So today, just everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. For those of you who are watching the live stream, you can do this too. Because it's not important that I see you, it's more important that God will see you. Okay? Uh, so with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you are struggling with some form of doubt today, just raise your hand. Just you're, you're showing God. You're saying it to God. Okay. So Lord, today, you've seen our hands. And Lord, today, we want to admit to you, Lord, that we've got some doubts. We're, we've got some questions, Lord, that we're still struggling with. And Lord, today... It's honest questions looking for honest answers. And so, Father, today I pray that you would lead us to those answers as we search your word and as we bring it to you in prayer. Pray, Lord, that you would remove all doubt. Lord, that you would give, bring clarity and wisdom and peace to those who are struggling. And, Lord, I pray that you would bring them into a family, a church family, Lord, Surround them with believers, Lord, who would welcome them and encourage them and stand with them. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.